The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by a guest speaker. The statements, views, and opinions presented in this message are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. That's online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Well, good morning, friends. It's my pleasure to welcome you and also introduce a series that we're going to have during Thursday chapels called Meals with the Lord, which will be brought to us by our faculty exploring different passages of Scripture where there's eating with the Lord, ratifying, certifying, creating covenants, and all that that entails. And to kick us off is Dr. Eric Watkins. He is the pastor of Harvest OPC Church in San Marcos. He has been a minister in the OPC since 2001 and planted two churches in Florida. He has now returned to Harvest, where he served as an intern during and after attending Westminster Seminary, California, from where he graduated. In 2016, he completed his PhD from the Theological University in Campen, the Netherlands. His dissertation, dissertation was on preaching Christ from the Old Testament in a postmodern context and was published as The Drama of Preaching, Participating with God in the History of Redemption. Dr. Watkins has taught at Reformation Bible College, Reformed Theological Seminary, Gordon-Conwell Seminary, Mid-America Reformed Seminary, Westminster Theological Seminary, and Westminster Seminary in California. And I think you get patches, right, for all of these, and it goes on there. So. He is married to Heather, uh, and the two of them have four beautiful adopted children, and it is our uh, pleasure to welcome him this morning. Thank you, brother. Privileged to be here this morning to address you from God's Word. I know these are strange times, uh, times through which we persevere as much as stop and enjoy the things that God gives us. So I'd invite you, if you would, look in your Bibles to Exodus 18. We will turn there from there very briefly to John 17. The title of the devotional is A Pagan Priest in the Presence of God. Let's hear God's Word now from Exodus 18. We'll be focusing on verses 10 through 12, but we'll begin at verse 1. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people. How the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord 
who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. And then very briefly from John 17, familiar words from a beautiful text. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Let's pray. Lord and our God, we thank you for your word. It is truly a lamp for our feet and a light for our footsteps. It exposes the darkness of our hearts and leads us to Jesus, the light of the world. We ask now that for the glory of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you would invigorate our hearts, granting us even more faith, helping us to rejoice in the hope of the gospel. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I want to say this morning that I believe this is an exciting time to be a Christian. It's an exciting time to be members of the body of Christ, and even from uh, my point of view, as one that's just returned to Southern California in a strange time, I actually find it an exciting time to be the church and even to be so in Southern California. The title of the devotional this morning is A Pagan Priest in the Presence of God, but I want to address throughout our devotional this question, who gets to eat in the presence of God? I have three points. Uh, this is an abbreviated sermon, of course. The faith of a pagan priest, the failure of the people of Israel, and the feast in the presence of God. So let's begin by talking about the faith of a pagan priest. There's nothing like coming home. Uh, when I come into my home right now, I have four kids, 14, 13, 4, and 2, and you can appreciate the fact that there's a lot of energy with the four and two-year-old that often hear the door open up, hear me come in with my uh, large body making loud footsteps, and my two-year-old in particular, uh, who's about knee-high to a grasshopper, comes running and screaming with open arms, Daddy! And just does this little happy dance and wraps around my leg and it begins. Well, something like that, <clears throat> happens here in Exodus 18 as Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, brings Moses his children and Zipporah his wife. This is something of a homecoming, but in more ways than one. It is a reunion between Moses and his wife and children. It is the return of his family after Moses has been in something like a military or mortal combat uh, as he went to engage Pharaoh and bring the people of Israel out. But there is more going on than simply a family reunion. In many ways, uh, as I have had the opportunity to talk about a little bit in the missions course here, the Exodus is something of a world stage of God's glory. In many ways, it displays God's heart for the nations. And if we can say it this way, I know it's a little bit anachronistic, but you'll understand the nuance. It displays God's evangelistic intention in saving not only Israel for himself, but in saving people from among all the nations. 
So Jethro enters into the story here in Exodus 18 as he brings back Zipporah, Gershom, and Eliezer. <clears throat> as you know, Jethro has become quite aware of all that God has done for the people of Israel through the hand of Moses. When you look at the plagues of Egypt, it is like watching God enter from the outside of a territory, defeating armies that surround the city, eventually toppling the walls of the city, eventually toppling, toppling uh, the capital guard, and getting finally to the king himself. The gods of Egypt were exactly that. They were the gods of Egypt, and they were thought of by the Egyptians as protecting the Egyptians, Pharaoh himself being a god among them. But Jehovah, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, destroys all of the gods of Egypt, destroys the religious system of Egypt, culminating in the destruction of Pharaoh's own, and God topples them like little chess pieces. The effect of that is that the nations now know that the God of Israel is the one true God. At least in this sense, word has spread that a mighty military power, Egypt, has been defeated by the God of a slave people, Israel. Exodus 15, if you'll turn back there, is a beautiful little verse reflecting on this very idea. Exodus 15 at verse 11, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now the chiefs of Edom are dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab, all the inhabitants of Canaan, have melted away. It's a beautiful point. What God has done for Israel, he has done in the sight of the nations. And word has spread. The question has been answered. Who is like Jehovah among the gods? And the answer is no one. The proof is in history. The proof is in the Exodus. Jethro hears. And he not only brings back Zipporah and the boys to Moses, he makes a rather remarkable profession of faith when he does several things. The verbs in our text actually highlight quite well Jethro's profession. He begins by saying, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hands of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Verse 10. Verse 11, now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. Blessed be the Lord. A sometimes familiar language of affirmation made several times in the Old Testament, interestingly uh, often uh, by people who are not only inside but outside of the covenant community that recognize now because something has happened in history that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the blessed Lord, the God over all. Verse 11, now I know that the Lord is greater. This comparative language by which Jethro says, Jethro remembering him as a pagan priest of Midian, now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. This man with great familiar familiarity 
with the gods of the land now says that Jehovah is greater than them all. This is, in many ways, an Old Testament profession of faith. This is a conversion story of an Old Testament pagan who now comes to embrace the God of Israel. He affirms and blesses the name of the Lord. He acknowledges that the Lord is above all gods, small g. Calvin, who I'll refer to twice, uh, actually is a little bit hard on Jethro in my view. Uh, Calvin says that Jethro even referencing or acknowledging the existence of other gods in a certain sense suggests that Jethro's confession is a little bit weak. Old Testament scholar John Curry takes the opposite view and sees in this language Jethro denouncing all the pagan gods, including the ones that he had formerly served as a priest in Midian. In other words, uh, when Jethro says that they dealt arrogantly with the people, there's a little debate. Who is the they? Is it the Egyptians or is it the gods? Courage view is that it is, and I agree with this view, is that it is not the Egyptians, though they did deal arrogantly, it's actually the gods. The plagues were God coming in and destroying the gods of Egypt. The gods of this world hold the people of God, excuse me, hold uh, people often captive, if you will, in unbelief and idolatry. And the Lord has destroyed the gods of Egypt, displaying his glory and the strength of his hand over them. And Kurid is right. Jethro denounces not simply the Egyptians, he is denouncing the pagan religious system that has dominated the land. Again, Exodus 15, 11, Who is like the gods? Jethro says, no one. That was terrible. Who is like the Lord? Which God is like him? And the answer is no one. He is greater than them all. This leads to uh, a second and interesting point, and that is the failure of the people of Israel. I don't have the time that I want to get into this, but it's really interesting to briefly contrast at this moment in Israel's history, Jethro and Israel. Jethro has heard but not seen what the Lord has done, and he comes and he makes this profession of faith. Israel has seen what the Lord has done. But in chapter 16, they grumble against Moses because they don't like the bread. In chapter 17, they complain against Moses and quarrel with him because, again, they are dissatisfied with God's provision. Perhaps Israel's great offense is not only in grumbling and complaining, but in not understanding the purpose of the Exodus. That is to say that their salvation, their redemption, was not only for them, but it was also for the nations. God was calling them not simply to be saved for themselves, but to be a light to the nations. In Exodus 9.16, God says to Pharaoh, for this purpose I have raised you up, that I might display my power through you to the nations. If God has raised up Pharaoh for that purpose, how much more his own people? This is the point of the Song of Moses. It sings the story of Israel's redemption in the sight of the nations. 
God was not only interested in saving Israel, he was on a path to save others through what he had done for Israel. And we see that well in Jethro. A pagan priest now confesses, blessed be the Lord, and there is no one like him. He is greater than all the gods of this world. God has done something in history, and now everyone knows. God has done something in history, and now people are hearing. Israel may be grumbling, complaining, but Moses is testifying to what the Lord has done. Uh, Meredith says at this point, Moses' evangelistic efforts puts to shame those of the people of Israel. With their mouth, they grumble, complain, and quarrel. With his mouth, he testifies and sings to what the Lord has done. He is overjoyed, not simply to see his kids again, but to see what God has done and to testify about it. If God is doing great things in the Exodus to display his glory before the watching nations, how much more has he done in history through his Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, when once again God enters into history as a man of war, demonstrating on a world stage his strong arm to save, stronger than the gods of the land, stronger than those things that oppress and suppress us, and even stronger than ourselves. His victory is sure in this world and in history, and he accomplished it through the death and resurrection of his son. And what is the effect of this event in history on God's world stage, but now not only the people of Israel, but even more of the nations come to know that the Lord is God, and he is greater than the gods of this world. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so Jesus will say, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. God was not done simply because Jethro, a pagan priest, became a worshiper. How much more was there yet to do? He continues to cause pagan worshipers to become sons and daughters in the kingdom of God. Indeed, he converts us, if you will, from being pagan priests of our own design and idolatry into becoming a part of his kingdom of priests, fit for the temple of the living God. A choir fit to sing not only the song of Moses, but the songs, the sweet songs of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we look at our text again, what worship service would be complete without a meal? Some might have heard in that a sublime promotion for the idea of something like communion on a quite regular basis. To our last point, a feast in the presence of God. What does Jethro do in the context of his confession in response to his conversion, if you will, or an outworking of it, uh, but he brings burnt offerings and sacrifices, we are told, uh, down in verse 12. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Two different offerings are referred to. One is a sin offering to atone for one's sins, Jethro acknowledging his paganism, but bringing it to an end, a burnt end. 
Sacrifices, a very old practice, the way uh, this word is often used, uh, signaling not only atonement, but worship and fellowship. Uh, This is, in many ways, brothers and sisters, a rich moment in history. Not often do you get such a full-orb demonstration of conversion in the Old Testament, but this is one that really gives us many hues of color. Calvin, who I said refer to again, uh, asserts that the way that Jethro now comes and worships God must have been according to the rules that God had given Israel, or what we would call the regular principle of worship, or Aaron and the elders would not have been there approving and subsequently eating. In other words, he has truly gone from being a pagan priest and a pagan worshiper to a converted priest now worshiping Yahweh according to the ordinances given to Israel. Genuine conversion leads to genuine worship following repentance and faith. This is exactly what happens. And notice, he eats bread. I think this is beautiful. This is really, this is truly beautiful. It's not simply that he sits down with Moses, Zipporah, and the boys. This is a coming home after all. But he eats bread with Aaron and all the elders in the presence of God. Calvin actually insists. He insists and says it is without contest, almost uh, too ambitious, that the bread that is being described here is being eaten by Jethro and Aaron and the elders before God. Calvin says it's the manna that God gave to Israel. The very same bread about which Israel has been complaining, chapter 16, grumbling, quarreling. And yet here is Jethro, a Midianite priest, now converted, confessing the name of the Lord, blessing the name of the Lord, and partaking of the bread of heaven with the leaders of Israel. It warrants a pause and to think about this fact. On the one hand, what a simple meal. The Israelites complain, but to Jethro, arguably one of the greatest meals of his life. Some struggle over the simplicity of the bread that falls from heaven. Others rejoice in it, and it becomes an occasion for grand celebration. What the people of Israel disdain, Jethro, the pagan priest now converted, rejoices in because there is nothing like coming home when coming home means coming home into the house of God. Closing questions or Lessons, we might suggest, as some Puritan preachers would say. Who may dwell in the house of the Lord? Who gets to eat in the presence of God? Well, the answer is those who profess faith in that great name that is above every name, the name of Jesus, at which people in heaven and on earth shall bow down. Even pagan priests can be converted and join the kingdom of God. And that is a lovely thought. Who would have suspected that a pagan priest from Midian would be eating bread in the presence of God with the leaders of Israel? And it answers this beautiful question. Is there anyone God cannot save? Is there any God, small g, that Yahweh can't defeat? Is there any battle for which his arm is too short and his power too small? And then finally, as we close, 
What is his means for gathering the nations? Pagan priests, converting them into a pink kingdom of priests. The answer is his church. It is the people of God that sometimes grumble, complain, and quarrel, who are nonetheless the salt of the earth, the light of the world, a light for the nations, the people of God whom he saved, not just for our sakes, beloved, but for the sake of his glory, for the sake of the nations, and he is continuing to do his great work. Amen. And let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you that not only were you interested in saving a pagan priest, but you did a great work in the people of Israel. You did a great work on a world stage, defeating the gods of this world. And we ask now, O Lord, that you would continue to make your goodness known, the glory of the gospel in the face of Christ Jesus, that many would come to know the one true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. In his name we pray. Amen. Good day. Copyright 2021, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way, and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.